E-Tidings Cosmos. Good morning, 21st Century World of Worlds. This is Radio Richard Island, coming to you from within the soundproofless studio of life itself. Thomila Falcher wrote and shot. I am your host, Richard McSweeney. Hear this, listener, give it here your fullness of ear. From the beginning there is breath, and upon that breath there are words. And the sage in the digital age speaks of the philosopher of old, saying, The Druids and the Christians would say to him that there was no help for his soul. Soul? He didn't think in terms of a soul. For him there was but the heart, and the senses, the inner person, and the outer world, and nothing there was that wasn't spiritual for him. As for their gods, their god, such ways of thinking were not for him. Many of them, in a likeness of fashion to each other, genuinely felt sorrowful for him. And there were those, too, who genuinely and exultingly boasted of the fact that he listened not to their words, and long they did to see their words in him, proved by his total destruction. They would declare to that their gods, their god, had forsaken him. It didn't stagger him in the least, that they should have such notions, or that they would even express them in words to him. And he thought to himself, that some, that some gods, some god it must be, who would forsake. To him the Druids and the Christians seemed ever to be showered with trials from their heavens and peppered with temptations from their hells. And there was this continuous guilt in them. It could be seen shadowing their countenances and affecting their stepping and annoying feeling of them having somehow either knowingly or even unknowingly offended their deities, their deity. Saying sorry was the most common word coming forth from their lips and grumblingly at that was it been spoken. From his point of view, they had that bitter affliction of no joy in the deepest degree. Ever fearful they were that their gods, their God, would no help give to them. From place to place he would occasionally hear them crying out to the sky, Oh, our gods, oh, our gods, my gods, my God, why have you forsaken us, forsaken me? Even in the full light of a clear, wispy, white-cloud, blue-sky day, didn't they appear to him to be trudging their minds and bodies about in darkness? In today's broadcast, I'll be reading from Prince Hamlet, The Republic, and the true classic of Southern Taoist fragrance. This is a reading in continuity from Prince Hamlet. Oh, throw away the worser part of it, and live the purer with the other half. Good night. But do not to mine uncle's bed assume a virtue if you have it not. That monster custom, who all sense that eat of habit's devil, is angel yet in this, that to the use of actions fair and good, he likewise gives a frock a livery that aptly is put on. Refrain to-night, 
and that shall lend a kind of easeness to the next absence, the next more easy. For you, almost can change the stamp of nature, and either the devil or throw him out with wondrous potency. Once more, good night, and when you are desirous to be blessed, I'll blessing beg of you. For this same Lord I do repent, but heaven had pleased it so to punish me with this and this with me, that I must be either their scourge and minister. I will bestow him and will answer well the debt I gave him. So again, good night, I must be cruel, only to be kind, thus bad begins and worse remains behind. One word more, good lady. What shall I do? Not this by no means that I bid you do. Let the bloat king tempt you again to bed, pinch wanton on your cheek, call you his mouse, and let him be a fair of reeky kisses, or paddling in your neck with his damned fingers, make you to ravel all this matter out, that I, essentially, am not in madness, but mad in craft. Twere good you let him know, for who that's but a queen, fair, sober, wise, would from a paddock, from a bat, a gib, such dear concernings hide? Who would do so? No, in despite of sense and secrecy, unpeg the basket on the house's top. Let the birds fly, and like the famous ape, to try conclusions in the basket creep, and break your own neck down. Be thou assured, if words be made of breath and breath of life, I have no life to breed what thou hast said to me. I must to England, you know that. Alack, I had forgot to so conclude it on. There's letters sealed, and my two schoolfellows, whom I will trust as I will add us fanged, they bear the mandate. They must sweep my way and marshal me to knavery. Let it work. For tis the sport to have the engineer hoist with his own petard, and it shall go hard that I will delve one yard beyond their minds and blow them at the moon. Oh, tis most sweet when in one line two crafts directly meet. This man shall set me packing. I lug the guts into the neighbouring room. Mother, good night. Indeed, this counsellor is now most still, most secret, and most grave, who was in life a foolish, pratting knave. Come, sir, to draw toward an end with you. Good night, mother. A reading from Plato's The Republic Trashimachus, when he had thus spoken, having like a batman, deluged our ears with his words, had a mind to go away. But the company would not let him. They insisted that he should remain and defend his position, and I myself added my own humble request that he would not leave us. Trashimachus, I said to him, Excellent man, how suggestive are your remarks? And are you going to run away before you have fairly taught or learned whether they are true or not? Is the attempt to determine the way of man's life so small a matter in your eyes? To determine how life may be passed by each one of us to the greatest advantage? And I do differ from you, he said, as to the importance of the inquiry. You appear rather, I replied, to have no care or thought about us, Trashimachus. Whether we live better or worse from not knowing what you say you know, is to you a matter of indifference. Pretty friend, do not keep your knowledge to yourself. We are a large party, and any benefit which you confer upon us will be amply rewarded. 
for my own part, I openly declare that I am not convinced and that I do not believe injustice is more gainful than justice, even if uncontrolled and allowed to have free play. For granting that there, there, there may be an unjust man who is able to commit injustice, either by fraud or force, still this does not convince me of the superior advantage of injustice. And there may be others who are in the same predicament with myself. Perhaps we may be wrong. If so, you in your wisdom should convince us that we are mistaken in preferring justice to injustice. This is an interpretation, after my own fashioning, of some lines from the true classic of Southern Taoist fragrance. Nortree Star Visitor spoke to me, saying, Humaculative era, what stories, what anecdotes, what insights do you bring to this new dawn? There was once a king of a landry, with having received word in passing, that there was a human, a human, yes, but not fully human, who was living in a far-off oak forest, became exceedingly curious as to who or as to what such a human would look like. Not being able to hold his curiosity in check, he decided that he would go to the oak forest to see for himself if this were really true, or nothing more than folkloric rumours. After two days and nights, moving in and about the forest, they hadn't seen or met a human fitting the description. On the advice of one of his attendants, he reluctantly ordered that they turn about and return to the palace, but that just to make things a little bit more interesting, they were to return by a different route from which they had come. Now, as they were moving along under a cloudy sky, they happened to notice, a little ways over from them, a delightful sun-kissed spot in the trees. They stopped to gaze at it for a few moments, and were about to move on when they thought they had seen something move therein. With quietly and slowly moving towards the softly radiant patch, they noticed a most beautiful woman sitting therein, and she seemed to be enjoying letting the sun rays through the trees be lotioning her face. With gentleness and softness of voice, they brought themselves into her presence. She welcomed them, and the king told her why they had come into the forest. They had come to confirm the existence or non-existence of what they described as a not fully human human. And after listening some more to him, she told them that what they were probably looking for was a humaculate. And having never heard of such a thing, a being, or of such a word, such a human there to be, the king asked her about it. A humaculate is a life-form, your majesty, come from somewhere way beyond the moon, and who is of the stars, and who is given to enter the womb of a pregnant human woman to of the baby be. As they live on this planet, live in this world, they are as if they are of it, yet but not of it, not of it, yet of it. Are they to be feared? No, not at all, your majesty. Why do they come? And she, with sensing that he was slow of catching on, merely gave him this simple answer, saying, They are somehow given to be here, your majesty, and that is all I can say of them. 
Are they giant-like or dwarf-like? Are they all out of natural shape, having no harmonious formation to them? They are neither giant-like nor dwarf-like, and neither are they of an unnatural form. They are in appearance as even as I am before you, Your Majesty. Then would I know if I had met one? Purely by appearance, most likely you wouldn't have known, Your Majesty. But if you were to talk to them even for a few moments, it would become quickly apparent to you that their way of thinking was not that of a mere human. Can you tell me, then, where I might possibly run into one of them? For I have a great curiosity to see one of them close up for myself, to judge how far they are human, how far they are not human. And most importantly to see if I could have some use for them in the palace. Ah, I see. If you were to journey along that way, Your Majesty, who knows, you just might happen to meet one. And without uttering a word of thanks to her, he quickly headed off with his attendants, carrying the expectation that they would soon meet a humaculate. And with them having left from out of her presence, she quickly rose to her feet and ran deep into the forest, just in case they might return, having had some second thoughts. In a dawn reverie of this new day, meditated I on what an immortal self of mine did say, did lovingly relay way back in days of long, long, long gone by, O mortal self of mine, when with living in your own realm and time, your inner heavens and earth will declare the glory of yourself. Your sun, moon, planets, stars and galaxies will everywhere show and proclaim your integrity. Remember, whenever and wherever, to bravely speak out on issues when you know quite well you ought to. Refuse to let yourself silence you. The upcoming repeal here on the Isle of Ireland of the Eighth Amendment of the Constitution Act 1983, which acknowledges the right to life of the unborn with due regard to the equal right to life of the mother, is such an issue. In need of your courageous response, Say no on Referendum Day, Friday 25th of May, to the making of a law that would fast-track us as individuals and as a people to inhumanity. The beloved lives in the wombs of tomorrows will to us in their own way be eternally grateful and ever so proud of us. All right, I will leave it at that for today. Enjoy taking very good care of yourself and those around you. Be ever so grateful for your many blessings. You have been listening to an Irish philosopher of the natural kind bringing radio to the internet via Radio Richard Island. On the air globally for about 15 minutes, Monday to Friday, and occasionally on the weekends. The script format of today's broadcast will be available at a future date on AuthenticClosetDramaScripts.com. It is truly an honor to have your listening.
May you be a blessing unto yourself by way of your past, by way of your present, and by way of your future. Slán agus banacht lát.